Hello, and welcome to the Casual Author Podcast. I'm Dan, host and independent author of sci-fi and fantasy books, father of five, full-time worker, homesteader, and a man of many other responsibilities. I'm here to talk to you about what it's like to be an author, how we can prioritize and be productive, and how we can be encouraged to know that despite our busyness, we can still make the best of our authoring. To learn more about me, my books, or access the podcast show notes, head to dankenner.com slash podcast. Let's get started. Hello, it's Dan again with another episode of The Casual Author. Today is Tuesday, November 1st, 2022, as I record this, and this is episode 51 of the podcast. Um, I never thought I'd reached over 50, but it came so much faster than I expected. <laughs> Today, I'm talking to Marshall Moore about world building and comparisons between writing short stories um, and writing longer or full-size novels. So it's a really insightful conversation. Obviously, crafting the universe that you're writing in is going to look much different and be much different depending on the length of the piece that you are writing, which is fascinating. I have no experience, well, not not no experience, very little experience writing short stories. I wrote um, children's shorts, which are still on my website if you're interested. They're called Tyran Tales, but they're children's shorts, and that is my only experience with world building. So very, very little bit. But it's a great conversation. I think you'll like it. Now, in terms of updates, I feel like there's constantly crazy things going on on our homestead. Um, and every week I think, oh, I, I'm not going to have very many updates for you in terms of homesteading. And then we always do. Before we dive into that, authoring. Uh, my new project is still plugging along. I think I'm upwards 50,000 words now on it. Um, and it is blossoming into something far more complicated than I expected. I think I mentioned this last week, but I don't plot because um, for me, that takes a lot of the fun out of the writing. Obviously, that makes it a little bit tricky in terms of keeping it within the bounds as well as sometimes knowing where to go with it. But um, it's gotten a, l- a little bit more complicated than I expected it to, which is fine. I mean, given the current uh, situation, I, mean, I don't know that I'm going to be able to publish anything because of funds for a while. So it's going to, it'll be fine. It'll give me more time to write this story, whatever it's going to look like, and potentially um, finish the entire series. So it's going to take me a little while, but I think it's going to be a four book series. I've been kind of going for trilogies, but Spoon feels like a four book series. Which should be fun. Um, Working titles, I I don't really choose. I've got some titles in mind, but I don't have uh, this one nailed down. So that is the life of a discovery writer. I shouldn't say pantser. I know a lot of people dislike that term. But in terms of authoring, we are uh, doing a give, I say we, collectively with another six other clean or we're calling it noble, bright fantasy authors are doing a giveaway. Um, Seven signed paperback books, mine awakened is included, plus six additional clean or spice free books will be given away. Um, You can find Find the link at my website. It'll be on just the main page. If you want to um, enter that giveaway, definitely do. You can follow us on various social media platforms for additional entries. So check it out if, if you're interested in that. It is global, so don't worry if you're in another country. If you're interested in that giveaway, 
check it out. Like I said, the link is on the main page of my website. So that's just dankenner.com. But yeah, definitely enter in that. Why not? I mean, if you like fantasy, admittedly, I haven't read all of these books. My TBR is way out of control. So I'm not, I would like to read all of them though. These are authors that I've connected with on social media and I have been following some of them for a while. And so I'm definitely interested in reading their books and probably will someday. But as of yet, I haven't read them, but they look great. I mean, the descriptions, the covers look amazing. So I should definitely enter that giveaway when you get the chance. Um, in terms of the, the homesteading news, this last week we had kind of like a, a mental game with what we were going to do. It's getting cold here um, in southeast Idaho. And so we had to decide what we're going to do with our chickens. We have three separate flocks, had three separate flocks, um, various stages of life, and we had to integrate them at some point, which would have totaled around 36 chickens, I believe. But the coop that we had built for uh, the chickens, the space for kind of the permanent winter place, was only big enough for 28 or 29. And so we were trying to decide, hey, what are we going to do? Uh, with these flocks, we we don't have enough room for them to roost and, you know, live comfortably together, run, you know, where they roam around is big enough, but where they sleep wasn't quite big enough. So we, we, we deliberated expanding it. Um, we didn't have the materials for that. And it's quite uh, expensive these days to buy wood to do that, plus the time. And there wasn't a lot of, it's a really weird spot. We couldn't expand it um, without having to run into various obstacles. And so based on the fact that our oldest flock was actually pretty savage, um, if you know anything about chickens, they can be mean, you know, with the pecking order and whatnot. These particular chickens were savage. They would attack each other. They would peck each other's feathers off. Um, and they even killed a couple chickens because they, they attacked each other. And there's very little you can do about that except for separate them. We didn't really have the space or means to separate them. So they've just kind of beat on each other. And we were, we figured, you know what, these, these are laying for us, not as much as we'd like. Their, their production had gone down, but we figured it would be better to just butcher them, uh, which is what we ended up doing yesterday. <laughs> so it was kind of a willy-nilly thing. We decided a few days ago, all right, well, let's just put this flock in the freezer, start fresh with the new one, who are already nice to each other. They get along, and it's a nicer breed. So that's what we did. Um, so my wife is once again processing chickens this week, which I know she is just done. She's very tired of it. But we have loads and loads of broth and frozen chicken in the freezer. So it's great. I mean, they're still going to use and it solved the problem of not having enough space. And they would they would have been put in the freezer eventually. Um, next year was the plan. So we just did a little bit early. Um, so we'll just go without eggs for a little while, which is painful because the new flog isn't quite laying yet. But they'll get there. Uh, for now, we'll just have to buy eggs to supplement the egg situation until they do start laying in full. So that was unexpected. Did not expect to be doing that, but life on the homestead is great. We also winterized stuff, which is important. Obviously, you don't want pipes to freeze and various things. So just trying to prepare for the snow, which is right around the corner. Homestead is going to take a step back, although we do need to be planning on breeding. It's coming up to the months where we will put the buck in with all of the does. We do plan on breeding all of the does. So we're looking at more 
goat kids. I think we'll be breeding all five of the goats this year so that we have even more milk next year for soap and for cheese and all sorts of fun things. So that is right around the corner. Um, we'll be putting him in there, and I'm sure he'll be very happy about that. Right now, whenever they want each other, we'll just put it that way, they scream at each other quite loudly from across our yard. They're not, not even that close to each other, you know, to prevent smells and too much aggression and trying to break out of their fencing. Um, but they do yell to each other for a day or two until everything settles down. And that's not fun for our neighbors. Our neighbors are pretty cool with it, but we try to make sure that nobody's being unnecessarily annoying. So I believe that's it in terms of homesteading. Um, once again, unexpected, but you do what you got to do. We <laughs> just take things as they come. So we will go ahead and shift over to the interview portion of the podcast with Marshall. Marshall J. Moore is the author of The Pale City, as well as other short story contributions to anthologies. Hey, Marshall, how are you? I am doing fantastic this morning. Yourself? Doing very, very well. It's, it's uh, the beginning of a week, which is can be positive or negative for a lot of people. So far, it's looking up for me. Um <laughs> But I'm excited to talk to you. I really enjoy um, meeting a lot of authors who are in various stages of their publishing journey. Um, so tell us a little bit, how long have you been writing and publishing? Yeah, so I am one of those eternal writers. Um, we okay. cleaned out my mom's house a few months back because she was downsizing and found some of my uh, very early, like second grade era attempts at storytelling, which were um, mostly just complete plot ripoffs of Harry Potter. Mm. Um, uh, but I really started seriously writing, um, probably around 2019. Um, I'd done, I think two complete length, uh, novel manuscripts prior to that and had done the whole, um, submission query trenches, uh, gotten roundly rejected on both of them. Um, so around 2019, I decided to turn my focus to short stories instead. And since then, I've gotten about two dozen published with at least a dozen more to go. Oh. Um, and uh, my debut novel, The Pale City, published with Shadow Alley Press. So clearly it worked out for me. That's awesome. I don't have a lot of experience writing short stories other than, you know, children shorts that I did for for a six or seven months there. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to writing short stories versus full length novel, do you have a preference about which one you enjoy more or do you just enjoy the experience overall? I enjoy the experience overall. Um, it's the classic analogy is it's a sprint versus a marathon. Um, novels take a lot of focus and concentration, which is not a bad thing, but it is a long time to spend in a single world with a single character or cast of characters, whereas uh, short stories, you can much more easily jump around between concepts. So I, I like alternating them um, depending on if there's a particular short story submission deadline coming up. I might take a break for novel writing to work on those. But if the novel submission deadline is coming sooner, then I'm probably more likely to focus on that. So I've just finished the rough draft of my third novel in the series and am looking forward to taking a little breather and working on some short stories coming up. Yeah, that's awesome. So when it comes to kind of crafting the story, first of all, just out of curiosity, are you a discovery writer or do you prefer to plot your stories out? 
Um, I'm a little of both. I've learned okay, that, sure. uh, yeah, I definitely started as a discovery writer, but I function better, at least as far as a plot perspective with a clear outline of at the very least where it's going to end up. Um, I do this, I write my novels pretty sequentially, you know, open chapter one and just write all the way through. Um, but for short stories, especially, I tend to start at the end, which I think is a very useful technique to use uh, just for writers overall and sort of build my way back from there. Um, because, you know, all, all good stories need to take place at the last possible moment. You can't have, you know, 30 pages of the character going about their day before the inciting incident happens. Um, so more of an architect, uh, but I like the discoveries that happen along the way. And there's room for both within a single story. You've just got to learn how to be flexible with your draft. Yeah, sure. I'm not sure I could write that way, but I can understand the logic behind it. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah. everyone has their own preferences. Um but yeah, I, I coincidentally have read a number of books where there's 30 pages of of people going about their day before anything happens. So the question is whether or not I actually continue reading uh, books like that. But we, we won't get into it. Uh, so when it comes to you know sucking or pulling a reader into the story, really pulling them into the world that we're creating, I want to talk a little bit about the the difference, you know, strategies for novel writing versus short stories, right? Because there's still ways to draw readers in. But when it comes to short stories, what are some of the more, more key elements to help you craft this world that you're building in such a short amount of time, in such a small amount of words? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a fantastic question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is... Uh, Every first line has to draw them in, um, which is why that's honestly kind of my go-to strategy is starting off with um, the most interesting or compelling first line of dialogue or you know scene setting or whatever I can think of that makes the reader wanting more. And that goes for my novel as well. Um, but for short stories, given that you know it is a smaller commitment of attention span, that also applies. So starting off with a strong hook in your first line, um, but also as far as building the world within a short story, um, less exposition, essentially. You know, the show, don't tell is one of those kind of almost cliche bits of writing advice and how much it's overused. But for short stories, especially, it really applies. You don't have to, you know, spell things out for your reader so long as you show that the character understands how things in this world work. Um, Trying to think of a good example. Okay. Yeah. So this is a great example. Um, this is from the collection Orpheus and Eurydice Rewoven, which is a collection of retellings of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth in huh. various genres. Uh, mine is called Bloodless Spirits, and it is a uh, reimagining of the myth as a vampire story taking place in 1800s Paris. Okay. Um, so, like I said, first line hook. I pretend I cannot see him. This is um, told from Eurydice's point of view, and rather than the serpent slash Hades, we have a vampire. Mm -hmm. um, but more than that, uh, I never say outright like, oh, this takes place in Paris during this time frame. Just the references to the different, you know, famous landmarks, the Seine, uh, the Art de Triomphe, um, and most critically, the Parisian catacombs. I'll let the reader infer, you know, you know where this is happening and you have a rough idea based on just like the society of what time period, 
I also never even say the word vampire um, within it because it's not necessary. Like by context, everyone can guess, oh, this is what this is. And so just letting your reader puzzle those things out because readers are smart. You know, they, they can infer from the hints you drop through the story what is happening in this world and what this world is like. So I hope that answered that question. That was a little no, bit. Yeah, angry. I think that's a great example. No, awesome. Um, and I think it probably is going to depend on the length of the story. Right. And I know there's a lot of different opinions about what's the difference between like a short story and there's there's definitions online. Um, yeah, probably how much exposition exists, whether it be very little or at least a little bit to, to pull readers in is probably going to depend on the the word count that you're going for, or at least the story you're trying to craft. Um, but I'm not sure that I have zero practice really uh, <laughs> doing that type of writing. I don't know that I would be interested in it, but then again, I haven't tried. Have you ever considered doing something like Kindle Vela? Or are you already doing something like that where you're um, doing serial type episodes of literature or, or story? So um, first off, you're absolutely right that the length definitely dictates what you can and cannot do. Um, there's a number of different uh, short story anthologies and publishers I submit to uh, fairly regularly. And I've, I've been published with the same ones multiple times. So I'm pretty comfortable with what their guideline requirements are. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, depending on the length of the submission that they're seeking, that gives you a rough idea of, you know, how much story can I really fit in? Like I mentioned earlier that you've got to fit, sorry, there's <laughs> some construction noise in the hall. It sounds like um, joys of living in a condo. It's so exciting. Uh, I know. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the length of the story depends on what you can fit in and that's why I love starting at the last possible moment and hooking them into the action as late as possible. Because if I've got a story to tell in 3000 words, I can't spend a thousand of those, you know, just doing side dressing. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, as far as the serialized stuff, I do have a couple of my different short stories uh, follow the same characters. So those are kind of serialized. Um, I wouldn't say they're at the point where it's a comprehensive story. They're much more episodic. Um, I've got, I think, three currently published that follow the adventures of Okabe Yukiko, who is a uh, samurai ghost hunter in uh, Sengoku era, Japan. I've gotten three of those published with a fourth one that I'm currently seeking a uh, representation for. Um, and maybe a novel one day down the line, because those are a lot of fun to write. And uh, one currently published and one forthcoming that follow the adventures of a uh, Honest Oswald, who is an underworld fence in a kind of bog standard D&D fantasy setting. Um, basically, the concept there was, okay, how do I make a story about an NPC and go from there? <laughs> um, That's so interesting. That, yeah. yeah, it's it's a fun, like, writing a character who survives and thrives based on, you know, wits and guile rather than, you know, being a fighter or any, of any sort, which is obviously much more typical of the genre. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, there, there's a few that do follow. Oh, and my initial publications um, followed the adventures of Althea Stag, who is a uh, Greek demigod and detective. So that was kind of my attempt at the more classic urban fantasy uh, genre. Um, so yeah, I've got a few that do follow the same characters, but nothing that is, uh, I would say, serialized at this point. At least not um, yet. Nothing. Yeah, nothing, nothing with enough that I could collect it into like one collection. Although sure. one day that's kind of the goal. Well, that's cool. That's really awesome. I've, I've admittedly not really looked at it. I know there's a lot of authors that think it's fun to write that way. It kind of spurs their creativity. You kind of keep this 
these series of shorter stories in this serial way. Um, like I said, I've never really considered it, but I can imagine that the it would add a new element to the world building component, right? Because with a short story, um, you have a very small amount of time to draw the reader in, uh, help them join whatever universe you're created in in such a small way. I mean, obviously we're not getting into the massive details as with something like the way of Kings with Brandon Sanderson. Right. Um, but when you serialize it, I, I, I can imagine that it would be a different take on it. Right. Because you can continue to add little bits or just build on what you've already created in that serial way. But when we're looking at novels, I mean, you've obviously published a novel. You're working on your third. I'm assuming the second one's written already. Yes. Um, January. Yeah. Perfect. That's great. Um, when it comes to, to building a world there, what are some of the, you you would say, most important elements about creating this world? I mean, it's probably not cut and dry for every novel, but at least for you as, a, as an author and what you've seen as an author, what are those key and important elements in, in creating that universe? Right. So... This is uh, going to be specifically to secondary world fantasy, and it can it can apply more broadly to you know spec fic as a whole, or even just sure. you know writing as a whole. It doesn't even have to be a genre. This can apply to literature with a capital L as well. But right for specifically secondary world fantasy, um, which is my genre and what my novels are, you need to take the um, central question or premise of the setting and examine it thoroughly. So, The Pale City, my novel takes place in a society where upon death, every citizen of that society has their body transformed into a zombie servant called an attendant. And so the central question of that world is what does a society look like where the dead are viewed as just another resource to be exploited for the overall society? And so all of my world building springs from that central question. Interesting. That, that's really interesting. So how does that work? Do you, do you feel like that applies to both plotters and discovery writers? Because I can see that might be a little bit difficult for perhaps a discovery writer, even if they have that question. Do, do you feel like, did you have your world kind of predetermined or were there a lot of different things that sprung up as you were writing? Um, both again, <laughs> I'm okay, sorry. I'm not sure. giving you a straight answer on that, but uh, there is no straight answer. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's great. So that's, that's sort of the thing. Like I, I had from that central question, I was like, how do I make a society where, um, the necromancers are the good guys essentially, because, you know, we're, we're so used to seeing cackling maniacs in black robes with hoods and armies with skeletons. I wanted to turn that on its head and say, you know, how do we make a society where this is, not only uh, not taboo, but is so accepted at the everyday level that people hardly think about the fact that, you know, there are dead people doing all of their labor. So um, that's the central question that was constantly in my mind as I was figuring out the plot and the plot was about equal parts. Um, I had the rough layout, but there were definitely some discovery portions in the middle. Um, the first book anyway, I did write a little bit out of order. Um, but there's room for both, I think, because I knew that I wanted the zombies to be, you know, as, as sort of essentially uh, flesh robots. Like they don't really have any true sentience or awareness, but they can follow orders. And I knew I wanted them to be used for soldiers as well. But I had to kind of um, instill an Asimov style three laws where they can't harm the living unless expressly directed to by somebody with the authority to do that. Um, and it's things like that where, you know, as I'm writing, you know, 
I'm discovering the consequences of like this central world building question that I've set up. You know, what, what happens when someone tells a zombie to kill somebody? Like, are, can they do it? Or I've got to put something in there where they're not allowed to unless it's somebody authorized to do it and things like that. You know, it's, uh, or, you know, someone brought up to me recently uh, while reading the book, actually, what do they do about the smell? And I'm like, great question. That is actually in there is a throwaway line that they use a ton of incense to make the city not smell like death all the time. So it's little things like that where, you've got the question in your mind as you're writing. And as these things crop up, you have the discovery of this is the answer to these smaller questions that come along. And each of those questions that's answered really helps flesh out the world. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, and I know that I've kind of answered a lot of questions like that as I'm writing and it does come. I, I'm not a plotter. I'm, I'm a pretty hardcore discovery writer. Uh, I don't really pre-plan anything. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of those little questions like kind of how would X character react or what would be the reality of the situation if X was true? And, you know, some of the questions are easier to answer than others. But answering those questions for yourself helps you to have the characters respond in certain ways and probably put, like you said, those throwaway lines or small lines in there or whatnot about, you know, answering the, the question that the readers might have. But I think the thing to, to keep in mind is it's not always bad to have questions unanswered. Right. And I think that it's kind of a fine line to, to deal with though. Right. Because yeah. there's, there's a difference between a world that's very not well thought out and there's just too many questions and by the the readers just getting flubbed up one by one and by the time they've reached 50 percent through the book they're like i'm just confused i don't understand this world nothing makes sense versus oh i wonder if, what x would be like there's no specific answer well i'm going to assume or or I, this is how i would answer the question kind of gives a little bit of flexibility to the reader to imagine i i've, I've read some books where it's the world is a little too thought out and there's mm -hmm. too much explanation. I'm just like, I'm just not, there's not a left, a lot left to my imagination. You know, as a reader, I like to imagine, I like to answer questions in my mind and be like, Oh, I bet this, or I bet X. Right. But it's just a really challenging place to find yourself. Right. Because you don't want to answer too many questions and you don't want to leave too many questions open. So how can, how did you feel comfortable with the pale city and your short stories that you've answered the right amount of questions or how can an author feel comfortable with that? Absolutely. So the uh, the classic example um, of that tension there is um, the great master of the genre, of course, Tolkien. Middle Earth mm -hmm. is famously, you know, the most well realized in enriching and captivating fantasy world out there, which is why we're still talking about it seventy years later. But you know, reading the original trilogy, it is full of these oblique references to Feanor and the Silmarils and. All these things that, you know, in 1956, when the book comes out, no one has any idea what he's talking about. And it's mm -hmm. not until the Silmarillion comes out later that, you know, we get the actual explanation. But Tolkien had all of these backstory thoughts in his mind already answered. So that's kind of, I think, the answer to, you know, how much explaining is too exp too much explaining. Don't do that. If if he'd included all of that text in the original trilogy, it never would have been published. And it's the doorstopper mm -hmm. as it is. Um, but the fact that the author knows in his mind what the answers to a lot of these questions are helps the verisimilitude because then you can do what he did and just drop these references to the pre-established world mythology in there. Mm -hmm. And that helps make it feel like a lived in world. Mm -hmm. So back to my own story. Um, I'm proud of this because this is actually uh, something one of my reviewers said is that 
the exposition never bogs down the plot and the, the reader is left to figure out enough of the way the world and society works without having to, you know, stop to explain every five seconds. You know, I'm never going to be like, this is how you make a zombie step by step. I just kind of give a throwaway like, yeah. And then there's some like magic alchemy involved and that keeps it from, you know, rotting all the time. And that's kind of the answer, you know, the less time you spend slowing down the plot because the plot and the characters are what we're really in the story for. Like I love world building and it was I'm of the opinion that all writers approach a story from either a plot character or world building perspective. And for me, I honestly definitely approach this one from a world building perspective, but at the same time, if it's just the world building that you're mostly invested in, you might as well just write an atlas or an encyclopedia. So (laughs) since the world building has to be in service to the plot, which has to be in service to the character and their journey, that's kind of the hierarchy of uh, storytelling devices, in my opinion. Yeah, right. And, and there's just kind of a balance of all things. It all has to work together. And I, you know, I know that there's some people that are, they, they don't actually get to the writing part, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're just too busy getting into these crazy details and spreadsheets and word docs and whatnot. They're just going into so many details of the world, which I think is amazing. And they love that piece of it. But at that point, I'm just like, maybe you should be, you know, drawing a picture or, you know, it sounds, this sounds a little bit less like a novel and more like some other type of entertainment. Uh, It just, you know, get into the writing piece is really important because you can't integrate, you can't weave that world into everything else that's important, which is the character work, you know, reading books that are all world building and very little character work are, hard to read right like i I just don't find myself caring about what the the book is actually about because it's not about anything vice versa if it's all character work and very little world building at the same time like well this is a fun entertaining read but admittedly i probably won't remember what happens because i'm not brought into this world so it's just it's an interesting balance to have to learn and the only way to do it is to write right to gain experience and to learn the yeah the uh the key thing is always the um button chair hands on keyboard right like so if you're not writing it then you're not writing it like you can have all the ideas you want but they've got to go someplace if you're really trying to make a serious effort at putting it out there for other people's consumption if you're not there's nothing wrong with that you know the, it's fine to come up with you know your own fantasy world in your head and absolutely you know daydream it and come up with it but if your goal is to get it published for somebody else eventually it's got to get out of your head and onto the computer <laughs> Or right, exactly. Longhand, or however you prefer to write. I know. I know a lot of people that create just for their own entertainment. I see them don't frown on that at all. I think it's amazing. But if your yeah, goal absolutely. is to get some type of output, you need to work towards that output. Uh, otherwise, it's not going to work out. So, are there any pitfalls that you can think about when it comes to world building? Um, you know, whatever they could be, anything that you've seen, or possibly mistakes you've made yourself, or seen other people make when it comes to world building. Um, continuity is a big one, um, because it's great to have these ideas, but you've got to make sure you are referencing them back and you're not contradicting yourself, um, without, you know, giving remotely any spoilers or anything away. Um, that was a plot complication in the first draft of the second book in my trilogy, where I got the, uh, manuscript back from the, uh, beta reader from my publisher. And they were like, this completely contradicts the way you said the magic system worked earlier. So I had to, obviously, you know, the first book is finished at this point. So it's not like I'm going to undo that. And anyway, the reader was correct in their estimation of why this didn't work. But then I had to go through the manuscript I'd given them and 
rephrase things and, you know, just do some finagling to make sure it's still in line with what I've already established as canon to this world. That is a really challenging one, particularly for discovery writers. Now, I know it's hard for plotters too, yeah. because, you know, <laughs> continuity, you're writing a lot of words and it's sometimes difficult to remember what X character is like or what the world is like, the rules of engagement and, you know, the laws of the land and whatnot. So yeah, it's tricky notes, right? Yeah, exactly. There's, I'm <laughs> like I said, I'm just finished. Yeah. Notes are your friend. Like I said, I just finished the first draft of the um, manuscript for the third book last week, and I'm going back through it right now before I submit it to my publisher to be more closely examined. And um, like literally like in the first two chapters, um, one of the characters casually dropped something that I had forgotten they had dropped and put in as a reveal during the epilogue. And I'm like, all right, well, I've got to adjust one of these. Mm. So what did you decide? <laughs> I'm curious. Oh, curiosity. Uh, edit, editing out of the epilogue. Um, oh, okay. it's, it's a good character note. And it's really just, okay, this isn't a surprise after all. Um, uh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There are some of those. Yeah. Um, it, the plot isn't so far, you know, I'm only like a hundred pages out of my 400 into the review and edit stage, but so far I haven't majorly contradicted myself yet. So fingers crossed that it stays smooth. That's good. Having an objective view on it as well is helpful, whether it be your eyes after taking a break for a few months or beta readers, you know, others, other eyes on it. It's just very helpful to, to find that continuity. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, that, that, I can see how, how that would be pretty challenging pitfall for readers. Um, so I guess for, for just out of curiosity, from your opinion standpoint, what is your favorite part of the world building process? What do, what do you enjoy so much about it? Um, definitely. It is the discovery segment of it. Um, sure. Just the fact that I can, you know, from that central story question, how does that impact everything? You know, what, mm-hmm. what kind of world are you building as you go along? Um, the pale city, the society that it takes place in has um, sort of a very uh, Roman Republic s trappings, you know, their names are all sort of classically Latin sounding. Um, and that originated from the fact that, you know, if I'm going to build a society where necromancy is the norm and, you know, they are exploiting the bodies of the dead for their own economic gain, there's got to be something redeeming about that society, right? So I thought about, you know, what are, if the common people don't have to work for a living, or at least they don't have to work in like the unskilled menial labor jobs that constituted so much of pre-industrial society, what do they do now? Does that free them up to take on more skilled labor and how does that advance them as a society? So from, you know, again, these questions that are spiraling out of the central, the central question, the answers rise to, okay, I have to make the society morally defensible in somehow. So despite this being, you know, a, fantasy setting it's not going to be you know feudalism and kings this is a republic you know they have they're a democratic society and that goes a long way towards morally justifying or allegedly morally justifying their exploitation of the dead as cheap labor that's one way to look at it (laughs) i I find the idea fascinating but just kind of the the layered way of approaching it. I can see how that would be really, really enjoyable. I prefer the discovery writing piece of it. That's why I'm a discovery writer. I mean, I enjoy not really knowing 
I mean, I know some things, you know, kind of, I, I mostly know where characters are going to end and I more often than not know the ending of the book, but um, just kind of seeing what happens is the exciting, but for me, it's like reading the book for the first time, um, yeah. which, which I really like. Uh, you kind of surprise yourself as well with some of the world. There are some things that happen in the worlds of the Lightbearer Chronicles that I, I didn't really expect. It's like, all right, we'll go with it, right? It just becomes a, a whole new, exciting piece of the world. Um, and I've had a number of people <laughs> say, like, I just really like this aspect of the world building, which I appreciate, and that it all connected throughout the series. So what's the intent, the intention for the length of the series for the Pale series? I'm not sure what the, what's the name of this uh, series uh, this for the Pale City. Yeah, the series overall is called the Rites of Resurrection. Uh, okay. The Rites, R-I-T-E-S, R-I-T-E-S, um, is the name of the magic system. You know, they're using rites, essentially, um, because it, the whole zombie resurrecting and control is based on a religious ritual from the main character's minority religion. Like sure. I said, there's a lot of world building involved here. Um, the Rites of Resurrection trilogy um, is three books. Third one is in late first draft stage. Um, the second one is called the Ashen City. So there's a theme name going on. I don't think I can reveal the third book title yet, but it will also be the adjective city. Um, and the second one, the Ashen City comes out in January. The first one, the Pale City is already out now on Kindle Unlimited and paperback, um, which will be the format release for all three of them. Um, there will be an audio version at some point. Uh, we were hoping to do a simultaneous audio release, but uh, we, things just didn't line up with the narrator we had in mind. So we're uh, going to put that out a little bit later, hopefully for too long. Um, and after uh, after three books, I think that I'm, I don't know, there might be a future for this world, but it won't be following the same main character and the same um, very contained plot because they all take place within the city itself. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do write further in this world, it'll be either with a different main character or in a different location. Um, because reason being that, uh, like I said, setting starts with the central question, what is a society where the dead are just another source of labor to be exploited look like? And by the end of the third book in the series, that question I think has been thoroughly answered. Awesome. I think that's great. But the great thing about um, being authors and creating, crafting these worlds is you can do with them what you want. I mean, you could do something like Brandon Sanderson, right? Where it's this entire, this massive world that's connected with various different things you know or you could just i'm intending on kind of staying within the world of the library chronicles and writing a, a series kind of like 50 100 years later right yeah. like let's look at what happens as a result of this series it obviously wraps up the storyline but there's things intentionally left open for with the intention of writing more but i think that's really great right you're crafting this place which hopefully your readers are loving so much that they want more even when the story is completed they're like well i don't want to leave this world the characters you can kind of say goodbye to, but sometimes you just want more from the world. Um, And, you know, creating a place where you and your readers can just enjoy being in. I think that's, that's kind of the goal or perhaps dislike. I mean, (laughs) there are worlds (laughs) that I would not want to live in, but that's good. I'm still intrigued and fascinated by them, Um, but I would never want to live in them. So um, it's it's just the, the craft around it is, it's just really exciting and fun. So if you have any advice for authors who per, who are diving into reading or want to get into, or excuse me, writing or want to begin writing, where would you advise when begin 
when it comes to building a world? So I think that the central story question of your world is something to consider, um, definitely, because on the one hand, there is, um, you want it to be yours, right? Um, Right. All writing is an expression of what we've got inside ourselves and due to our different backgrounds and experiences, we're all going to have a different cocktail of emotional foundations to build Mm -hmm. off of. So whatever you write is going to be uniquely you. What you need to consider in a world building aspect of that is what am I trying to create with this world? Um, what mine is a lot of uh, socio and political stuff disguised in a fun fantasy murder mystery, you know, questions about mm-hmm. the use of labor and, you know, the tension inherent in a society between your societal obligations to your country and to your religion in places where those might conflict. That's a very big central question of the main character. And that comes from my background and things that I have dealt with in my life. So it's going to be the same for you, whatever it is that you write as a writer, you're going to bring your own experiences to the table. What you need to identify is what is it specifically of myself that I am pouring into this world and where is the conflict there and what answer am I trying to arrive at? And you don't have to have an answer for that last part. You know, if there should be a central conflict inherent in the story that you're telling and probably in the world that it takes place in as well. And you don't have to know the answer, right? Um, like I think for my main character, the whole uh, nation versus religion conflict is answered ultimately, but I don't know that it has a one-to-one translation into real life because he is not in the same position as people in the real world are in regards to that. Mm. So it's you, you bring the universality of a conflict by bringing specificity of your own experience. And that goes for whatever it is you write, whatever kind of world you write, what does that look like? I hope that answers the question that I got a little meandering. No, that's, that's a great, great answer. I think, you know, I think a lot of people don't know where to begin, but I think that's a really synced way to describe the beginning stages of building this world. And then a lot of it'll come later. You know, I think there's too much worry around getting everything perfect right off the bat. So yes, absolutely. You do not need to have all the answers. Um, (laughs) I I had a um, friend who just started reading it, text me and she was like, I finished the first chapter. I really wish there was a map. And I'm like, that would be cool. I'm not a map maker or a geographer, and I do not want to get myself bogged down in you know the minutia of that aspect of the world building. So I I have a vague idea in my head of where all the neighboring countries are in relation to this central location, but there's no map, and you don't have to have one. Hmm. No, you don't have to. Some people prefer it. Some people don't. Some people have the skills or the resources to make them. And it's totally fine if you don't, but yeah, um, that that's just one part of the, of the world building. But Right. The important thing there, I think uh, to clarify it for the listener is that coherency is going to trump detail every time. Mm-hmm. What matter you don't have to have every corner of your world figured out. What matters is the corners that your character and your story interact with and touch on are fleshed out enough that you can believe it and that yeah. there's not going to be any weight. If they're all living on the back of a giant sea turtle floating in the ocean, how do they eat? Just to like pluck a very 
random example. <laughs> that is a very interesting example. Really curious to know where that was drawn from, <laughs> but no, it's, it's a good know. question. Cool, I mean, maybe. <laughs> that, <laughs> but I, I think that's great. So we're running out of time. I always love to ask the author before we close up, where can people find more information about you and your books if they want to check it out? Absolutely. So The Pale City, my debut novel, is out on Amazon, on uh, Kindle Unlimited and paperback. Uh, go there, search The Pale City, P-A-L-E, pale like, you know, lost color in your face, not like a bucket. Um, I'm Marshall J. Moore. That is all of my author handles under that. You can find me on TikTok under Marshall J. Moore Author, all one word. Um, I do a lot of writing advice and I read a lot. So there's a good bit of book reviews on there as well. So if you're in anything in the fantasy, sci-fi, horror spaces, I've probably read something that you're going to like. Um, you can find me on Twitter under capital K W A J one four. Couldn't fit Marshall J Moore author on that. Um, I believe I'm under the Marshall J Moore author at Instagram as well. And um, you can find me on Facebook on my author page, which is facebook.com slash K K-W-A-J Marshall. Perfect. Yeah. That's so awesome. Those, and those we'll are, have all this my, in the show notes. Oh, so. Yes, absolutely. And also my, my webpage, because I got that set up a few months ago and I keep forgetting it exists. That is also marshalljmore.com. Perfect. That's great. Yeah. Any of the links will be in the show notes for anybody listening. So you can absolutely. take a look at that and find the book. So thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. This has been a ton of fun. Really appreciate you reaching out and uh, looking forward to listening to this. Yeah, it'll be great. As usual, I hope you thought that was helpful. Um, for me, it's helpful to hear from the perspective of someone who has experience writing a lot of short stories. Um, will I do that in the future? Uh, who knows? It, it's definitely possible. Um, I, I don't know that I have the mindset necessarily to write short stories, but it's great to know that that is an option for those who like kind of quick creative outlets and something that is a little bit more possible to publish more frequently. So uh, something I may be considering in the future. But next week, we will be talking to Jack Adkins, uh, who is an author of fantasy novels about characters, writing characters. So it's a really fascinating conversation. I think you'll really, really like it. But until then, um, have a great week. And as usual, if you have any questions, you can find me in all social media or you can contact me at authordkenner at gmail.com. Thanks so much. See you next week.